This one. If Jeremy and Laura could both come up, please. Just give them a very warm welcome. Are you, bring the tribe. Bring the tribe. <laughs> there should be three. Has anybody found a child wandering, sort of wandering around here anyway? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really is a thrill to have Jeremy and Laura and the children with us this morning. Uh, several of us have visited them in South Africa. They live in what for us is an absolutely magnificent spot, Bethlehem. And they're doing an incredible work among the very poor community there. So can we just... <laughs> this, is the, this is the effect I have on most people, you know. <laughs> so, Father, we just ask for Jeremy, Laura, and the family, Lord, that we thank you for their walk with you. We thank you for their faithfulness. And, Lord, I ask that as they look to these next few months, you will guide them. You will open up the doorways through which you want them to travel that they will know your presence every step of the way, and that they will walk in confidence of knowing that you have gone ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, she's not coming back. <laughs> she must know what the sermon is, does she? <laughs> okay. Good morning, everyone. Where are you going somewhere? Where are you going? Are you staying in here? sit there with Ian. Oh, good. You get free phones here. That's nice. <laughs> it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, my name's Jeremy, um, and uh, we have... My in-laws live just up the road in Rowlands Gill towards Gateshead. Um, so that's how we're, uh, we've ended up finding you guys, which is a, a real delight for us. Um, and so we've been just visiting you whenever we can over the last few years. Um, but if, uh, if you've not seen us before, um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about who we are. Um, I moved to uh, South Africa in 2004. Um, so we're in our 15th year there. And uh, uh, the, the journey of, uh, of getting to South Africa was, was one of um, sudden a sudden moment with Jesus. So um, I was, uh, I'd just finished university, I'd just uh, done a PGCE, so I'd finished, I'd got a job teaching, uh, and I'd gone back to my hometown, um, which uh, it was Seven Oaks in Kent, and uh, I'd gone back to live with my parents, because you can't really afford anything in Seven Oaks in, in Kent, um, and uh, I was uh, living on, on a peppercorn rent, as, as they say, um, and getting a nice income. I, had a, I was working at a lovely school. Um, I, I loved my job. Um, we had a great team of people, and we just got on really well, and it was just, it was perfect. Um, and the only thing that wasn't perfect was that I was sort of rubbing my dad up the wrong way. Um, so I was now what, 20, 21 and, and had my own opinions that didn't quite match my dad. So I thought, actually, this isn't very good for my, uh, for my relationship. It's probably not very good for my parents' relationship. So I thought, I'm going to move out. Um, and there was some uh, loan system for teachers to try and help uh, to get us on the, on the, on the ladder. And so I'd arranged this loan, and I was going looking for looking for properties. And I was, um, I was, I found this, uh, uh, I found this flat, 
And I thought, yeah, this is, this is it. I like this. It's in, it's in the right spot. It's the right price. Uh, and I put in an offer. Um, and as I put in the offer, I heard a very clear voice say, but you're not going to be here next year. It's one of the clearest moments of, uh, of my relationship with Jesus. And instantly I lost all interest in, in um, house hunting, which becomes quite addictive, doesn't it? It's quite fun nosing around other people's houses. And uh, so I went, I went home and just began to mull this over. And I went to see uh, one of my elder at the time. I, I just said, I really feel like Jesus said, I'm not going to be here next year. So this was in August of 2003. Um, and he said, well, just throw out some feelers and send emails around the world and let's see what Jesus wants to do. And over that over the next uh, four months, Jesus began to um, just explain to me what he wanted. He didn't tell me where to go, but he began to talk to me about how my security had become in all of the stuff around me. I was, I was close to all my family. Um, that was nice. Uh, my sister was just down the road. My brother was just down the road. I was in the, the church I'd grown up in. It was very comfortable. I knew it. Um, and I had plenty of cash and nothing much to spend it on. Um, and Jesus just began to say to me, I want you to have your security in me and not in those things. And so I'm going to take you away from those things. Um, and he, it was from August through to January, February, um, where I was, just, I was hearing him talk about why, but I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, and um, during that time, uh, there was an advert in the New Frontiers magazine, just a little tiny advert. Uh, it had a little photograph of the, the school in Clarence. Um, and so I emailed uh, Margaret, who's the headmistress down there, and said, this is who I am. This is what Jesus has been telling me to do. Um, do you think you could use me? And she wrote back, yeah, yeah, we'd love to have you. Come, come, come. Um, you'll need to start in January. Now, I was in Sevenoaks, um, where uh, they still do the 11 plus, very high-flying school. And so we had, I was teaching year six, so I had 11 plus and stats. So I would have been lynched if I had left in January. Um, so I, I messaged her back, so I'm sorry, I can't come. And she said, oh, well, never mind. And that was that. And then about four months later, I sent an email to Simon Pettit in Cape Town um, and said, this is who I am. This is what I've been feeling. Da, 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 da. Uh, and he sent me, I got a message back from, uh, from his secretary saying, um, there's this school in Clarence. And the, and the same, same morning, I got a second email from Margaret from the school in Clarence saying, uh, actually, we still want you to come. Can you come in October? Um, so I, I jumped on a plane and I flew down uh, two weeks later to go, and, to go and investigate this and just to check whether or not this was Jesus. I mean, it was sort of fairly obvious. Um, and on my journey home, um, Jesus just broke my heart. Um, I cried So the, the whole 11-hour flight back from South Africa. I don't know what the person sitting next to me was thinking was going on. Um, but uh, he was just sort of turning my heart inside out. 
Um, and I got, I got off the plane, I came home, dropped my bags, and I got in my car, and I just went for a drive. And again, I just kept crying and crying. And it was like this grieving process um, for what I was going to be giving up, what I was leaving behind. Um, and one of the things that was very clear was that I just, I just had this sense that I needed my mum to be okay with it. Um, I, I didn't understand why. Um, but I, I, there was a moment in time where I, I sat there and I held the steering wheel. I parked the car at this point. I held the steering wheel and I said, I just need to decide, don't I? And, and so I just shouted at the top of my voice, I'm going to go! And then I, suddenly I, there was just this washing of peace. Uh, I had, that, uh, it, was, it was done. So I drove home uh, and I went to talk to my parents and I said, look, I've just felt, you know I felt Jesus saying this, I need to go to South Africa. And my mum was just over the moon. She was like, oh, wow, that's brilliant. That's wonderful. I'm really for you. Um, and uh, so I moved, I then moved, what was it, four months later um, to, to South Africa, uh, sold my car, which is a nice car. Uh, it was like my dream car. I say a bit hilarious. I won't tell you what it was. Um, it was like my dream car, and Jesus had given it to me about 18 months beforehand, which was just a miracle. It was a miracle that I that I had this car. Um, but anyway, so I had to sell my car, and I had to say goodbye to all my colleagues at work, and say goodbye to the church, and I ended up there in South Africa. Um, and uh, it was. It was the beginning of what has now been a 15-year journey. Um, but within, within, so that was September, um, my, my mum had had breast cancer. Uh, and so uh, it, when I moved, she was in was it remission, is that what you call it, when, it's, when it sort of seems to be okay. And they came out to visit uh, in, the, in the February, March of, the, of 2005, just after... I had met Laura, who's sitting over there. She, we, met in, we met in South Africa, despite her coming from up the road here. Um, and so my mum got to meet her. Um, but actually, in, uh, in, the no, in, the, in November of 2005, my mum died. Um, and so I hadn't seen my mum. Uh, re- I'd seen her for that two weeks in the last year of her life. Um, but Jesus had already done like a grieving work in me. I'd already grieved for her. And so there was no sadness. Well, obviously, there was sadness that she died, but there was no sadness that I'd missed out on that time um, because I, I knew that where I had gone, I'd gone because he told me to go. And I knew that he had, he'd led me there and he'd, he'd already prepared my heart for what was, what was going to come. I'm telling that story because I want to talk to you this morning um, about obedience. Um, now, that's not because that I'm an expert at obedience but I but I do know that when we step into what God is calling us to um, we don't need to be afraid and we don't have to have everything sorted we don't have everything lined up so if you turn to um, uh, Exodus chapter 3 3 and 4 I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's really long but you'll know the story I'll paraphrase So you'll, you'll, you'll remember that Moses has been living off in the desert for 40 years, having sort of exiled himself um, after murdering someone. Um, and so he's been, 
yeah, we should probably stop and think about 40 years in the desert. I turned 40 in March, so it's my entire life that Moses has been hanging around with the sheep, waiting, well, he probably wasn't waiting, he probably thought, that's it. Um, And then he's going about his business uh, with the sheep, and then he sees this bush. Have any of you seen that film, The Prince of Egypt? It's like one of the best film moments of all time, when when Moses comes to the burning bush. Um, and it's this powerful moment where he's in the presence of, the, of God. He's in the presence of the living God. And he notices that, that this bush, is, it's on fire and yet it doesn't burn. And he, he, God speaks to him from the bush and he takes off his shoes because God says this is holy ground. And, and, and then, then we have this... I find it almost comical conversation um, between God and Moses. So God explains to him who he is. He says, I am who I am. It's this sort of cryptic, cryptic name. Um, and then gives instruction to Moses. This is what I want you to do. Now, so Moses didn't, doesn't know who this, he doesn't know who this is that's speaking out of the bush. He's had to ask him, who are you? And so then this, this voice speaks to him. It says, I am who I am. And now you are going to go back to Egypt and you're going to set my people free. And so um, if you turn to, uh, let's go to Exodus 4, uh, right at the beginning there it says, Moses, so Moses has listened to these instructions from God and then he says, um, but what if they don't believe me? Uh, what if they don't listen to me? Um, and they, and, they, and they say, well, but, but God never appeared to you. And then God says to, shows him this incredible miracle. So he stretches out his hand. Um, uh, he stretches out um, the staff in his hand and he throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. You know the story. It's just this incredible miracle. Yes, dear. Are you coming to join me? <laughs> this is joy. <laughs> there you go. You're more entertaining than me. Um, so, uh, so he sees this incredible miracle. God's God's changing a piece of wood into a snake. Uh, you know, and we we, we know that uh, we, if if you saw that, you would be in no doubt would you, that God has spoken to you? How many of us would say, oh, but I, I, I just need God to speak? You know, we're always saying that. I'm saying that currently. If God would just speak, then I would know. God doesn't just speak out of a bush to Moses. God makes a piece of wood become a snake. And then let's go down to uh, verse 10. Um, Pardon me, Lord, I've never been very good at speaking um, in, in the past or even now, and I'm slow in speech. So he's sort of thinking of reasons why it's probably not a good idea that it should be him. And then God, God says, no, I will send, um, I, will, I, I will open your mouth. And then again, verse 13, um, uh, pardon me, Lord, why don't you send someone else? And... <laughs> We're just like this, aren't we? Who wants God to speak to them? That guy at the back there. We want God to speak to us. And then God speaks to us in this 
God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush and does a miracle in front of his eyes. And he goes, yeah, why don't you send someone else? And then, so only then, which I think this is pretty impressive. God is slow to anger. Verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Well done, God. Isn't it amazing how long he waits before he's angry with us? And then, even then, his anger burns against him and he says, all right, I'll send Aaron to talk on your behalf. Isn't that incredible? Um, We want him, or at least I hope we do. We want him. I want Jesus. I want to be where he is. But we don't know what we're signing up for, do we? We... We, 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 sing, we sing these incredible songs and we call out and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I surrender. I've, I give my life to you. All that I am is yours. And then when actually God begins to speak, we go, oh, that's, that's not quite what I was. I didn't have that in mind. Turn to, um, I just want to prove it before I say it, (laughs) John 14. Go to John 14, verse 15. It says there, this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you keep my commands. If you love me, you obey me. It's not a, um, it's not a very popular phrase, is it? <laughs> if you love me, you'll do what I tell you. Um, you know, it tells us in Acts, in Acts 13, it says that um, God said that David was a man after his own heart. You know that phrase, yeah? Do you know why? What does it say? It says because he did everything I told him to. Isn't that incredible? We don't like this idea of, of blind obedience. Because we've got this, we've got this culture that says that, that freedom is, is doing what we feel best. Doing what we enjoy. Doing what's good for us. We, we have this constant, constant message which is follow your heart and do, do what feels good to you. And yet, you know, we're told in the Bible that the heart is the most deceitful thing of all. So to follow your heart would be foolishness, wouldn't it? What we're told is, is be led by the Holy Spirit. So we're not to let our heart lead us, we're to let the Holy Spirit lead us. Because the Holy Spirit's going to lead us to where Jesus is wanting to go. And so we've got, we've got this message of culture we've got this message of this the the, those around us we've got the message of the atheist our neighbors saying just do what makes you feel good and then we've got jesus saying if you love me you'll do what i tell you to do it gets us a little bit angry isn't it but but you're supposed to set me free freedom isn't freedom being able to do whatever we want isn't it (laughs) you've got the (laughs) punchline she's stolen my water 
You know, Jesus said, it is for freedom that I have set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, yes? Well, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? What do you mean, for freedom I have set free? What is that, what's that talking about? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, you can be, you can be in prison and then set free. But you know, you often, you often hear these stories of people who've been in prison for many years, or maybe they were kidnapped and they were kept in, uh, they were kept contained by somebody. And once they get out, they, they actually they don't want to be out. They want to be back in there because there was something safe. There's something secure about being in in the prison. There was something that they almost felt um, they almost felt safe in the, in their kidnappers' presence. You know what you know what I'm talking about. And so we can be set free but not live free. So, how do we get to live free? I, I can't see, I can't see the future. Anyone here got, a, got, a, got the gifts that I don't have? Can you see what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, we're, we're told, aren't we, don't worry about tomorrow, you've got enough trouble today. Um, and we're told, nobody knows when, in, when, when, when the sun will return. We don't, we don't have a clue what's going to happen tomorrow. We can't see into the future. But I want to see. I want to know. I want to have a clear plan. I want to have a map that's gonna, that tells me, okay, if, if I do this, then that next, the next day I'm going to do this, the next day I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm making my way where Jesus is taking me. But Jesus never gives us that, which is frustrating. He's just making potions or something down here. What I have to be sure of is who Jesus is. If I, if I know who Jesus Christ is, if I know who the Son is, then I do not need fear what's going to happen tomorrow. And that means I don't need to fear when Jesus gives me an instruction for tomorrow. Because... When Jesus gives me an instruction, it's not to put me down. It's not to get me in a box. It's not to restrict me. It's to set me free. He has come. Christ has come to set us free. So we can become, we can be freed by his forgiveness. We're set free from the prison of, of bad thinking about ourselves, from our sin, from our shame. We can be set free. But we can then not actually live free. We live free when we are convinced that no matter what he asks us to do is the best. So, if I want to live free, I've got to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to bow my knee before you because you know better than me. Any know-it-alls in the room? We're so full of self-righteous pride. We're so, I'm so convinced of my own abilities and my own, uh, my own ideas and how good my plan is. People have said to me in the past, but you, you just always think you're right. Well, I am. In my own understanding, in my limited understanding, I'm always right. Why, I, wouldn't think, I wouldn't start believing something I thought was wrong, would I? That's just, that's just foolishness. And so, 
here I am, this prideful, self-righteous man, saying, Jesus, I want you to tell me what to do. I want to do what you're telling me. And then when he tells me, I say, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. Because I think I know best. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do anything that you do unless you thought it was a good idea. And so I've got to come before Jesus. I've got to come realising that I have nothing without him. I can do nothing without him. I've tried, I've tried building a church. Who said that? It doesn't work. Because if I try to build something, oh, in fact, the worst thing is when it does work. The worst thing of all is when in my power and my strength I build something and it does work. Because then I've got, then I've got a seal of approval to doing it in my own strength. But I'm not building something for Jesus. I'm building something that worships me. And I've tried, I tried for years to try to show you lot how successful I could be in building something. But I was doing it, it was all my own plans, all my, all my good ideas. I was trying as best I could to come up with every strategy and reading every book and, and uh, let's try this and let's try. And nothing worked. Jesus was humbling me. Jesus was pulling me down onto my knees. And it took a lot. It took about four or five years of him going, come down on your knees. You know, when Jesus pulls us to our, our knees, that's because he loves us. He doesn't, he doesn't humble us and he doesn't get us down there because he's trying to humiliate us or trying to wreck everything. He gets us down there because he loves us. Jesus loves me enough. He loves me so much that he will not leave me thinking I know best. And so if we come to that place of getting on our knees and saying, Jesus, it's all about you. I can do nothing without you. If we get to that place, then we become, we become free. In Romans uh, 6, just go to Romans 6. Verse, uh, from verse 16. Where are we? Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone uh, as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the patterns of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Um, we don't think of ourselves as slaves, do we? Because we, think we, we, we focus on the freedom. We've been set free. But we've been set free to become slaves. No, I was a slave to sin. Yeah, I get that. I can accept that. I was a slave to sin. What, what sin told me to do, I, I did it. And I, I wanted to. I enjoyed doing it. And then I was set free. But then we're told here that we were set free in order to become a slave. Now, what does a slave do? 
A slave does what the master tells it, doesn't it? We, if, you're, if you're in slavery, it's, you don't get, you're not part of the decision-making process. They don't, the master doesn't come and consult you and say, what do you think about this idea? You, you do what you're told to do. So when we were slaves to sin, we, we, all, like, we couldn't do anything but sin. It was, it was, the master was, was sin, and it was telling us what to do, and we responded. And so now, we've got this funny situation where we're free, and yet we're slaves. And, and, and again, it's, we're, we're, we've got this, this funny thing where actually that upsets us a bit. Because, well, well no, because Jesus wants to, he wants, he, he wants to involve me in the journey, and he wants to ask my opinion. You can look at that theology later on. But what, what we've got here is the answer to freedom, which is complete obedience. And I've come on a, I've come on a journey. Me and Laura have walked a journey of, of suffering and trial and nothing quite going the way we planned. And he's brought us through to this place where actually I don't want an opinion anymore because I've I've realized in my weakness my opinion is weak and so our our position before Jesus now is we come before him as a slave saying what do you want what do you want me to do where do you want me to go what do you want me to say and I want to I would love to get to the place where my every movement is directed by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's where I want to live. I want to live in this place where I, can, I, I commune with the Holy Spirit. I'm so close to him. I know the voice of Jesus. And so when I wake in the morning, I wake and say, what do you want? And that's, where, that's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm pushing for. And that's, what I want to, that's where I want to be. Uh, because I've, I've seen a revelation of freedom. And it's not trendy. It doesn't fit. But the kingdom never has, has it? And so we've got we've to we've put ourselves down and say, actually, Jesus, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't fully understand how being a slave to you makes me free. But what I do understand is that you're God and I'm not. What I do understand is that you are the king of the universe who placed the stars in the sky and knows them all by name. And I am just this little speck who appears here for a couple of years and then disappears off in, this, in eternity. I don't, what do I know? We, in, in our wisdom, we, we convince ourselves that we've got this great knowledge that makes us able to decide who God is and what he looks like and how he behaves and what he would, what he would do. You, you see, I read a lot people saying, oh, but if God's a good father, he wouldn't do that. Well, that's just in our understanding of what we think, number one, what we think a father is and what we think good is. How do we know what good is? We don't get to decide what good is. It's God who is good, not Jeremy. God is good. And I, do, I had to come to this place where I'm saying, Jesus, 
I don't know what good, what good looks like. I don't know what it means to be good. Because even here in, in, in Exodus, it, you see God says, who is it that makes the blind blind and the deaf deaf? It is me. What? No, no, that's all from the devil. But there's the word of God saying, I make people blind. He's God and he's good. So we've got to start, we've got to bring our thinking into line with, I don't understand and I don't know anything. If we start from that place, then Jesus can begin to use us. Jesus can say, okay, there's a heart that is, that is malleable, that's teachable. I can take that heart and I can breathe life into it. But if we come with this sense of, I know who God is. I know how God behaves. I know what he's going to do. We start, we're already, we're starting from a place of pride. And God says, God says he, he tears down the proud. He lifts up the humble. And I don't want, I don't want to stand before Jesus and him say, you, you, you didn't even know me. Because you, you thought you knew me, but you didn't know me. You never came. You never asked. And so I want us, I want us to be a people of compl- who are abandoned and completely obedient. I know this isn't a very popular message. I'm, I'm sharing you my journey, and maybe, it will, maybe you'll disagree, agree. Maybe you'll be inspired. I don't know. Hey, do you remember the Thunderbirds? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. And I don't think I'm that old. The Thunderbirds were puppets for you uh, younger people. Um, But you could see the strings. So it was a TV program, but you could see the the strings. Do you know the freest place that you can be is is on God's strings? I want to be God's marionette. And maybe and I'll probably walk lighter because I'll be free. So I probably maybe I will walk like a thunderbird. That's freedom. So we've got to we've we've got to adjust our thinking out of the world, out of the culture of the world, because we've been told do not be conformed any longer to the ways of the world. And yet our thinking is conformed to the ways of the world. Our, our, our definition of freedom is what the world tells us is freedom. Our definition of slavery is what the world tells us is slavery. And yet we've got to be, um, have our mind continually renewed. That's what we're told there, isn't it? Do not conform any longer to the, to the ways of the world, to the thinking of the world, but instead have your mind continually renewed. And so I want to have a, a, a new mind that sees the way Jesus sees, that sees me the way he sees me, that sees you the way he sees you. But I can't do that unless I surrender. Surrender is a big deal, isn't it? We, we, you know, I love that song, I surrender all. I actually stopped us singing it because I was like, I don't know that any of us actually do. I don't... It's, well, it's all well to enjoy the song, and, but you're actually proclaiming something that, that I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. 
I want, I'm on a journey of surrender. And, eight, and each and every day, he, he points something out to me. He says, you need to lay that down. You need to lay it down. I, we've come, Laura and I have come to this place where we, we choose to be dead. Because Jesus said, if you want to gain life, you have to lose it. So we, we, have to, we, have to, we, we filter our decisions through a dead man. What does a dead man do? Because you know, dead men don't argue. Dead men don't have opinions. Dead men don't hold on to things. Well, if they do, they're holding it really tight. <laughs> dead men don't sin. Ask yourself, what would a dead person do in this situation? It's quite a challenge. When trial comes, which it does, and it will, do we behave like our neighbour who's an atheist and go, how can this be happening to me? This is so awful. Or do we go, okay, Jesus, what do you, what do you want? What do, I, what do you want me to do? Where do I, how do I respond here? Because, you know, it's in suffering and trial and persecution that we grow and that we find Jesus. Did you know that? Because it's suffering that leads to perseverance and perseverance increases our character and character hope and you know that you know that verse yeah we we have in our in our culture we have created this culture of comfort and entertainment where we feel like nobody should ever suffer anything and we try we've got all the gadgets and the gizmos and we've got the nhs and we've got all of this stuff which means that we we should never have any problem nothing should ever hurt and when it does, we get this, <gasps> because we can't, have, we, even as much as we like to think we can, we, we can't control this. This is God. And so we go, ah, it hurts. I've got a problem. I mean, my body's got a problem, or there's a problem with my job, or there's a problem with my family. I'm, there's this suffering coming. And, and then we create this theology around the fact that we should never suffer. And so then, we, then we're sort of fighting this battle against the suffering when actually, if you, if you look through the whole of the Bible, it's full of suffering. And it's suffering often that's instigated by God. Because in our suffering, we lean. In our suffering, we fall on our face before him. Now, I've, I'm, a, I'm, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I can see that there might be some theological questions here. I'll just leave that to these two. They can say, oh, we don't agree with him. But actually, if you begin to look, you begin to see that there is suffering that is instigated by God. That's, we can't deny that and say it's all the devil. Well, let, let's stop giving him all the glory. Because actually, what we found is that God takes us 
to the most difficult place we've ever been in, he pulls us down onto our knees and he says, now you want me, don't you? <laughs> yes! My mum my with her breast cancer, she found Jesus more than she had ever known him. In, she was 53. When she went into remission, she was, the fear she, the fear that she had was that she would lose her closeness with Jesus. So she almost didn't want the cancer to stop because she'd found Jesus more than she'd ever known him in her 52 years. That, that has been a major, major challenge to me ever since my mum died. Because we try, and, we try and get all of our suffering out of the way. We try and shift it out of the way because we think as long as we're, everything's well, our body's well, uh, we've got enough money, the house is fine, the children are fine, then we think that actually we, we've got life to the full. But that's not a full life. Because it's not a full life unless Jesus is here. And actually, Jesus is, we want Jesus and we push to Jesus and we choose Jesus in the midst of our trial and our suffering. And so when Jesus, when God comes to Moses and says, uh, I want you to go back to that country that you're wanted for murder and I want you to go to the king and probably all of those people that you're supposed to be setting free are going to hate you for it. I want you to go and do that. He's going, I don't want to do that. I'm not going back there. And yet, the best thing for Moses at that moment is to step into the suffering that was to come. And it went on for how many years? And then he ended up with 40 years of even more suffering with these people grumbling and moaning. And but that was the best thing. Is God a mean father? Of course he isn't. Oh, well, then why would he send Moses to go and do that horrible job and then send him wandering around in the desert for 40 years with a, grump of, with a group of moaning, moaning people? Because God knows best. And that is good. We don't understand how that's good. It doesn't make sense to us. But somehow, that is good. It was good for Moses. It was good for the Israelites. And we've got to, we've got to, we've got to ask Holy Spirit to come and renew our thinking. All right. Hallelujah. You, I don't know, I, I realise as I'm talking that this sounds quite controversial when I come to England. I sort of preach in Africa and I don't, don't think much of it. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, you've got, a, you've got a choice here. I don't know, maybe what I'm saying isn't controversial at all. But you've got a choice. You could go, okay, no, that, that guy's wrong. He's talking, it's wrong theology, I don't agree with it. And you can shut it off. Or you can go, okay, maybe there is something that I've missed here. Maybe I am not living in the fullness of Christ. Maybe I'm not living in full freedom. Maybe I'm trying to, to live a worldly existence, doing what the world tells me. And maybe I should just, okay, let the Holy Spirit ask some questions of us. Can I ask you to do that? Because when we, if, if, if this, if the Emmanuel Church, if we as a people go, Jesus, I don't want me, I want you. Heaven knows what's going to happen. Doesn't he? Hey, wouldn't that be exciting? Because uh, to have this room of, 
two, three hundred people who are saying, I don't want anything but Jesus. Amen. What's your name? Uh-huh, I like you. <laughs> Just stand up with me. Lift up your hands and let's uh, close our eyes and just ask the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and fill this room with your presence. We invite you to come and fill our hearts. Fill us up. Fill us up. Fill us up. Just ask him, come on. Ask him to fill you afresh. Fill me afresh. Fill me afresh. Fill me in you. Holy Spirit, we can't exist without being led by you. We want to be led wherever you're leading. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I just, would love, just put your hands on your head like this, because we're going to ask, ask the Holy Spirit to renew our mind. We need new thinking this morning. So just ask him, Holy Spirit, would you renew our minds? Let Emmanuel be a place where uh, we think differently, we see differently. Holy Spirit, come and renew this way of thinking. We don't want to be conformed to the, the message of the world, the ways of the world. We want to be conformed to heaven's way. Holy Spirit, renew our mind right now. Right now. Jesus. 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 Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus, we want to be where you are. We don't want to play games with eternity. We don't want to play games with our lives. We don't want to. We don't want to waste this opportunity. Lord, you've given us this life just to to, to find you, to prove how much we love you. Jesus, we, we want to spend this life with our eyes fixed upon you. You know, the best disciple, the best discipler is the Holy Spirit. So, and if you are willing, if you want something more, just say now to the Holy Spirit, come and disciple my heart. Holy Spirit, come disciple my heart. Come and pick out the things that separate me from the face of Christ. Come Holy Spirit and day after day begin a work, a refining work. Holy Spirit, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. I just want to I just want to encourage you to take up that position daily of emptying yourself 
laying down all of your wants and all of your desires, saying, okay, Jesus, even your dreams, take it, lay it down, say, your will, not mine. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? When he knows he's about to suffer excruciating pain, he says, not my will, but yours. So let's be in that place. Let's come in humility and lay it all down. Say, if you want me to pick it up, I'll pick it up. But until that point, I'm leaving it there. Okay. Amen. And now we go and live in the fullness of what we've been challenged with this morning. Rachel, where's Rachel? Come over here, my right, my dear. Can we have people, if you want to pray with Rachel, please come and join us. I'm going to break there for refreshments. Parents, you've got about five, six minutes parents and carers before you go and collect your children. And let's see what God's going to do with us in this coming week.